Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. You are free to go to little worship. You're dismissed. There we go. That's always fun. A little race to the room. Um, if you're visiting with us today or you haven't been here in, a, in, a, in the last few weeks, um, Richard, he has been taking us through the gospel according to Luke. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen um, earlier in Luke 4, we've seen the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And, and where Jesus... Um, was basically battling Satan in the wilderness, recapitulating that, uh, the story of Adam in the garden where Adam was tempted and Adam failed. Jesus here was succeeding. So we read of that. And then last week we read or heard of Jesus' hometown rejection. They rejected the, the hometown boy who was preaching the word. And these passages are very important for understanding what's going on to, in today's passage because Jesus' obedience in defeating Satan in the wilderness temptation is vital for him being able to cast out demons and to heal the sick. It's vital for that. And also in last week's passage, we saw that Jesus, as, as he stood up in the synagogue, he got the scrolls and he went to Isaiah 61, or what we know as Isaiah 61, and he read from that and he said, today in your hearing, this is being fulfilled in me. And so the passage today that we're going to read is actually him being a man of his word. He said today it was being fulfilled in me, and he goes on and he does it. So we're going to read the passage. We're in Luke 4, 31 through 44. So please follow along. It's there, it's there in your bulletin. And then we'll pray. Luke 4, 31 through 44. And he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What word, or what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. 
And the demons also came out of many crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your authoritative word. And we need your spirit today to help us convict of sin, to show us the glories of Christ, and to conform us into his image. And we ask you to do these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So it's clear from the reading today that there's something majorly wrong with our world. As if you needed any more proof, right? You, have, you probably have access to the paper or to the internet, and you know there's something wrong. But this right here gives us a clear understanding that something is majorly wrong with the world, and it's a spiritual problem, a spiritual malady. The effects of the first Adam's sin in the garden need to be eradicated and reversed by the last Adam, Jesus. And this is basically what we see him doing here. We see Jesus, the messianic king, making good on his word, making good on the promise of Isaiah 61. And so we're going to look at today, how how would he accomplish this mission? How would he do it? And I'd say he'd do it this way. He'd do it with, with divine authority, with divine compassion, and a divine directive. And so first, let's look at the divine authority. Jesus had authoritative teaching coming on the heels of his rejection in Nazareth. Jesus is back to doing what he was accustomed to doing, and that's to go in the synagogue and to teach. We see in verses 31 through 33 that he was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. But this was no ordinary teacher. And it wasn't just some ordinary teaching. See, Jesus wasn't there quoting the latest and greatest uh, rabbinical commentator or conference speaker. Not that they, I don't think they had those, but he wasn't there doing that, right? That's what most of them would get up and do, and they would pass on the tradition passed down by the rabbis. Jesus was not here doing this. He wasn't here relying on the interpretation of the law passed through someone else. No, no. Jesus spoke as one who had divine authority. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he would say things like, you have heard that it was said, fill in the blank, and then he would say, but I say to you. So he wasn't changing the meaning of the law when he would do that. He was doing what my friend Tony would call, he was shelling the corn. Jesus was getting down to the heart of the issue. He was getting down to the heart of the law and the heart of the people. And he would speak with authority. And in the same vein of last week's sermon, I'm not going to stay here too long, but I think we need to ask ourselves this question. In the same vein, when we read the words of God, when we read the words of Christ, are we angry with what we see there? Or are we astonished? 
This crowd, when they heard him teach, they were astonished. And look, I know some of us, we, when we hear that question, are we angry? Some of us go, no, I, I'm not angry with what I read here. I think, really what I think we need to hear, what I need to hear, is when I hear his word, am I indifferent? Not just am I angry, am I indifferent? Does it matter what, 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 what we're reading or what we're hearing preached? When we hear God's Word, do we find ourselves walking away more hardened and, and prideful, or do we find ourselves walking away more humbled and in awe and, and, and wanting to, to worship Him and revere Him? Remember that the Word of God is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. When we read God's Word by the power of His Spirit, He, he, he tells us, He shows us our idols. But He doesn't leave us there. He also shows us Christ. This is a piercing Word. And Jesus' teaching was authoritative because it was the very words of God. This is God in the flesh. We also see that Jesus had the authority to cast out demons. We see an authoritative cleansing. In verses 33 through 37, it says, And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth? Some translations say, um, leave us alone, or let us alone. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out, having done him no harm, and everybody was amazed. They were astonished at this. They're saying, what is this word? He commands the unclean spirits to come out, and they come out. He has power. And back in this day, other people would have exorcised demons. There were other exorcisms that were going on. And I don't know all about what was going on, but I know this. It wasn't the way Jesus did it. They might have done some incantation that looked more like black magic, but Jesus would just say, get out, and the demons left. And they were amazed. And we know, if, as we continue to read through the Gospels, that Jesus was very good at what he did. So good that they were, everybody, the Pharisees were mad, and they were trying to say that he did all of that in the power of Satan. That he, ha he must have some kind of satanic power. But this was the power of God. This was the authoritative, this was the authoritative word of God. And this scene really highlights, what's going on here really highlights the dire situation, the spiritual barrenness of the land. Not only do you have a demon-possessed man, but he's in the synagogue. My professor, Dr. Ben Glad, said that the presence of demons in the house of worship, on the Sabbath no less, indicates the spiritual state of Israel. The synagogue embodied everything in Jewish life and culture. And, and if this is so, then Israel's chief concern was not being shackled to Rome, but being shackled by Satan. And I think that's a word for us today here too. Like we, we've got tons of things going on in this world. 
party battles and different ideologies that are being spread. Um, we have disease and illness that we have to deal with, but our chief concern is not being shackled by some uh, ideology or party, and that's not going to be our savior either. Our, our major problem is being shackled by Satan and following the prince of the power of the air. That's the major problem with what's going on in the world. And how does this demon respond to the presence of Jesus? It's quite the opposite, quite the opposite response that Jesus got from his hometown. Remember the hometown crowd, they, they said, they, when Jesus was teaching, they said, Ain't this, this is just Joseph's boy. Isn't this Joseph's boy, the carpenter's son? And then you have here a demon saying, that's the Holy One of God. And if you go down in verse 41, when Jesus was healing the multitudes, the demons were crying out, You are the Son of God. And I think this shows us how naturally blind we are as sinful human beings to the things of God. This is exactly what James says in James chapter 2, verse 19, when he says, You do well to believe that God is one. The demons believe and they shudder. And here we see this in action. Demons afraid of Jesus, and they know exactly who he is. And this ought to wake us up a little bit. Mere intellectual assent to some truths about God, specifically truths about Jesus, is not saving faith. Just intellectual assent to that. It's no less than that, but it's more. Demons knew full well who was standing before, him, before them, and they even confessed it with their mouth. Holy One of God, Son of God. But they were not saved. Saving faith includes intellectual assent to knowledge of, of God and knowledge of Christ and what He's done, but it also includes trusting in Him, receiving Him by faith, resting in Him, Committing ourselves to Him. See, the spirits, the demons, they knew who He was, but they hated Him. They hated Him. He had come to spoil their fun. He had come to reverse the curse that Adam brought about, and instead of letting that unclean spirit stay in that man and torment him, Jesus, with His authoritative word, cast him out and forbade him to speak. And the demon could not help but obey. As James Edward, Edwards has said, the word of Jesus is more than a verbal utterance. It is a divine enactment, a no-contest authority over demons, demonic forces. What a powerful word. Jesus is doing exactly what he promised to do. Just as Isaiah had prophesied hundreds of years before, here he is proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, and he's setting at liberty the captives and those who were oppressed. We are seeing in this passage an inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And as we go throughout Lou, we're going to hear that more. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. That is very important. And, and we will, we will uh, talk about it more as we go through that. But know this. In this moment, we see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. But it's not only a mission of divine authority and power, but it's one of divine compassion. 
So after the amazing display of Jesus' authority, his, his teaching authority, and His ability to cast out demons, we get a story in verses 38 and 39. A more intimate story. See, Jesus arose and He left the synagogue and He went to Simon's house, Peter. He went to Peter's house. And now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to Him on her behalf. And I want to stop here. Peter gets a bad rap a lot of times, and that's rightfully so, but he's praying for his mother-in-law right here. That's a good thing. Peter is praying for his mother-in-law. He, he appeals to Jesus on behalf of her. She was ill with a high fever, very sick. And Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her, and immediately she rose and she began to serve. And in Mark's account, it says that, that Jesus took her up by the hand when he was doing all this. We see Jesus do that a lot. He lays his hands on people. He, would, he, he lifted her up with his hands. And then down in, in, in Luke 40, uh, 4, 40 and 41, it says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases, they brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them, and every one of them healed. And this is a wonderful picture of the compassion of God that he shows in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was not just fulfilling these prophecies as some check-off-the-box deal, like, okay, this says something, I'm going to go do that. All right. He's actually engaged. He's moved to compassion for these people. And this is showing forth what Richard Bauckham has said. He called this the character of God's kingdom. When we read about that kingdom of God throughout the Scriptures, remember, it's not what the, the Jews in that day were expecting. They were expecting someone to come up and to uh, overthrow Rome and, and live or lead on that Davidic king's throne from this earthly kingdom. But we see throughout the Gospels, we see the character of God's kingdom. It's very important. They were awaiting something else, but Jesus is showing them something different. Bauckham says, uh, 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 yeah, Bauckham says, Jesus, with Jesus, there were other priorities. He saw the kingdom arriving in the sorts of things that he was doing. He was bringing God's healing and God's forgiveness into the lives of the people he met. He was reaching out to those who were on the fringes and bringing them in. You read a lot about that in Luke. He's always talking about those who are out on the fringes, the destitute. He's reaching out to them and bringing them in, gathering in a community of people where service replaces status. And these are the sorts of things that happen when God rules. Jesus was enacting the kingdom by enacting divine compassion. And I want you to know this. Jesus cares deeply about your illness. Even if you don't think it or feel like it, I guarantee you, Jesus cares deeply about your illness. He cares deeply about your pain and your loss, your fears and your anxieties. Not as this collective whole, but like individually you. You can take all of these things to him. Take all of these things to him in prayer. Jesus, Peter told us this, cast all your anxieties and burdens upon him. This is what the people were doing. They were appealing to Jesus on behalf of, of those that were sick here. 
We see, what do the townspeople do with their ailing? They brought them to Jesus. What a friend. What a great friend to have. That somebody that would carry you to Jesus. That would take you to Jesus. What a friend to have. I mean, where else were they going to go? And now look, sure, we, we can take our friend to the doctor. We can take our friend uh, to the alluvian, to the spa. Good, that's a good thing. None of these things are, these are great things. We can take our friend out to eat. We can take our friend to the ball game, to a counselor. Praise God, we have all these common graces. But there's nothing wrong with those. But have we taken them to Jesus? Now you're showing forth the hands and feet of Jesus tangibly when we do things like that. But have we taken them to Jesus in prayer? Have we taken them to Jesus? Maybe they don't know Christ. And we have an opportunity to share with them the truths of the gospel. We can take them to Christ, the true lover of their souls, the only one who has power to forgive them of their sin and give them righteousness. So go to Jesus by faith. Carry your friends, your loved ones, your, your, your children, that would include your loved ones there, your children, your neighbors, your enemies. Take them to Christ in prayer. And also share the word with them. What was the response of Simon's mother-in-law here to the grace of Jesus Christ shown to her? She got up. It says she got up and immediately began to serve them. And this is the only reasonable response to being shown the grace of God in Jesus Christ. This is faith working through love. This lady had been loved by Jesus, and now she loves him. In return, she loves him and loves other people. And I know sometimes we're too afraid to talk about obedience or talk about serving, without, you know, not wanting to, to risk sounding legalistic, but we've got to wash that away. This is the response to grace. This is grace-driven obedience. Remember that you are the Lord's and he is yours. He has first loved us and redeemed us. He has redeemed us from the pit by living and dying for us, and He has triumphed, triumphed for us over death, and He now sends the Spirit into our hearts to conform us into this image of Jesus. So the mother-in-law's response is the only reasonable response to get up, and she serves Christ, and she serves His people. And lastly, we'll close out here. This is why Jesus came... He, he came and did all these things because he was given a divine directive. So we've seen divine authority, divine compassion, and now we see he was given a divine directive. It says, down at the bottom it says, And when it was day, he departed and he went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. And it says he went about doing this. It was, he was sent for this purpose, and he went about doing this, preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus came with a purpose. He didn't come as a plan B. 
He didn't come with this kind of hazy idea, this, yeah, I might save some people, I might not. No, he came with a purpose. It says in Galatians 4.4, it says, When the fullness of time had come forth, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the curse of the law and bring them in to adoption as sons. This is why Jesus came. He came to, to seek and to save the lost. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus had a mission to accomplish, and he could not stick around Capernaum for the rest of his time. And I heard a pastor say this. He said, based on this passage here, he said, we have to think, we have to be aware or, or beware of this mindset of just me and Jesus huddled up. Now, Jesus, if you are in Christ, he is with you, and he will always be with you. You are united to him by faith. But what the people here wanted was they wanted Jesus just to kind of stay in their town. They liked what was going on. Let's just stay here. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I came to go out. I came so that the kingdom of God would spread, so that people from all nations could enter in. And we have to be aware of that mindset of like just, just me and Jesus huddled up and that's just good enough or just even us and our family or collectively us here at Westminster. It's good that we've got him here. But are we concerned with the mission that Jesus was concerned with and that is that the kingdom would spread? See, he was inaugurating and enacting the kingdom. But it was, wasn't something that was to be fully realized yet. This is what we get into when we, when we think of the already and not yet. This is the, the, this is the time in which we live. The kingdom has been inaugurated, but it's not fully realized yet. We're still waiting on that day for Jesus to return and make all things new. All disease gone. All death gone. No more sin. We're still waiting that day. Awaiting that day. With his obedience and his defeat of Satan... In the wilderness, he was accomplishing the mission for which he was sent. And as Sinclair Ferguson said, he said, In the power of the Spirit, in the inhospitable desert which the world had become through the first man, Adam's sin, the second man, the last Adam, was regaining enemy-occupied territory. And I would say, as I was thinking through that, like, in here... Like, you need to really marvel at that. Enemy-occupied territory in here, you have been brought out. You are in the domain of darkness, and he brought you into the kingdom of the beloved Son. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, right? And so we're going to continue to witness this, this regaining of enemy-occupied territory as we go through Luke. So may God help us to marvel at his words and believe them. Marvel at his authoritative teaching and obey it. May he help us to bow the knees and bow our knees in humility and cast our cares upon the only one strong enough to deal with them. And may he help us to show the compassion of Christ as we go out and we preach the good news of the kingdom of God to a hurting world. So let us pray. Um, dear Lord, we thank you 
that you have not left us as orphans here, Lord, that you have, you came to bring us in, to adopt us into your family, to, to, to do away with our sin and to give us righteousness and to give us a family here of brothers and sisters who are united to Christ by faith. We thank you for that, Lord. Help us to grow in our love for you and our love for one another. In Christ's name, amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.